Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Welcome to the CPH podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Have you ever stopped to consider how the technology that you use is affecting you? That's what we're going to talk about today with our guests, Reverend A. Trevor Sutton and psychiatrist Dr. Brian Smith. In their new book, Redeeming Technology, A Christian Approach to Healthy Digital Habits, Reverend Sutton and Dr. Smith explore how you can use technology in ways that promote mental well-being and glorify God. It's a great conversation and it's an important topic for us to talk about, and so I'm glad that you're joining us today. Before we jump into our conversation, I'd like to thank our friends at the LCMS Foundation for their support of the CPH podcast. Imagine a future where your God-given gifts continue to benefit your family and faith after you're called home to heaven. The LCMS Foundation can help you create a gift plan so that your assets, things like your retirement accounts, home or land, will leave a lasting impact on the people you love and the ministries you care about most. Learn more about creating a gift plan at lcmsfoundation.org. Welcome, Trevor and Brian. It's good to see you both. It's good to be with you. Great. Thanks. How are things for each of you? Things are going great here in Michigan. Uh, excited for the fall and especially excited for the, the book to be out and for readers to finally be uh, interacting with the work we've been doing on it. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited about the book. Excited that, you know, this seems to be, it's always been topical, but sometimes it's even more topical. So we're looking forward to doing some stuff. Well, as we're recording today, it's absolutely topical um, when we're talking about technology and its impact on each and every one of us. It's it's a very current topic, but we're seeing it in the headlines. We're seeing it in the news. We're going to see some congressional hearings coming out pretty soon. So I think as we go through our conversation, we'll we'll get your reactions on that. But it's exciting to see this book for our listeners. Brian and Trevor are the authors of a just released book, Redeeming Technology, a Christian Approach to Digital Healthy Digital Habits. I found so much in this book that I was underlining and noting and was sharing. I've already shared early copies with some people here um, in my community. And I think it's going to be very, very helpful. But what I thought was interesting, and be, it, lest we confuse what we mean by technology, because um, I think some of us listening may have a very narrow um, technology, something you plug in and you turn on and you hope that your video and your microphone work. But you start the book with the story out of Gulliver's Travels. Tell us a little bit about why that story is important to a conversation about technology. So that's a story that um, I first encountered in a literature class uh, in undergrad. And reading through that book, uh, we hear about Gulliver. He's uh, with the Lilliputians. The Lilliputians are these tiny, tiny people. Uh, that know nothing of him, where he came from, and uh, they watch him because he's this oddity and this foreign character, and so they just observe him and all that he's doing and everything, and and they find that he is constantly looking at something <laughs> in his pocket. It's his pocket watch, uh, and they just watch him, and every single you know moment throughout the day, he just keeps pulling this thing out, looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, uh, and they don't know what it is. They don't know why he's doing it. Uh, but at some point, after the 50th time that he's checked this pocket watch, they they say, well, we think it must be his God. 
because he doesn't do anything without consulting this thing, this pocket watch. And um, frankly, that's kind of haunted me ever since I heard that or read that, uh, because I just wonder if, if somebody looked at us and the way we constantly look at our smartphones, constantly stare at television screens, computer screens, uh, if they knew nothing of what those things were, what, what would they think they are? Uh, would they think that they are our gods? Uh, that's concerning. Mm-hmm. And I think Gulliver lets us know that even though we're talking a lot about digital tech, that, that technology is really there are universal enduring themes over time that we're, we're examining here. It's not just about millennials or anyone, any one group of people. This is all of us. And that we can all become you know, compulsive to the point of worshiping things, but be very unaware of it. I remember when I first saw about, I don't know, 10 years ago, someone with one of those um, Bluetooths on their ears, I didn't know that those existed. And I thought the person was experiencing voices. They were walking down the street, looked like they were talking to themselves. So I think this book hopefully is a chance for us all to sort of pull back and take a look at what's going on so that we can better understand it and then know how to best act. And so the question can be, I've heard, you know, people will ask the question or will make the assumption, well, technology is neutral. You know, it's not good or bad. It's how we use it. It's just neutral. How do you respond to that? Yeah. Um, I I used to have that view of technology, to be honest. And, and the more I've kind of gotten into the topic, the more that I've interacted with, with people and their interactions with technology, the more I've reflected on it myself. Uh, I've come to realize we, we may want to tell ourselves it's neutral, but really, it's not um, that 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 these things incline us to behave in certain ways. They beckon to us. They invite us. They, um, you know, the expression you, you often hear is like the only tool you have is a hammer. Everything's a nail, that kind of thing. But but the mere tool that you hold in your hand, a hammer, makes you want to find nails. Uh, and the same thing that if there's a like button, uh, it makes you want to like something. Uh, if there's a share, you want to share it. Um, and so this idea that that we just technology is is completely neutral, uh, waiting for an actor to come do something, it's a little one dimensional. Um, it, it's kind of myopic, um, and really, um, a more nuanced thing is to ask the question: who, Who's inviting me to do what with this technology, and what are they hoping comes out of that? And along with that, you know, these these black mirrors we stare at really do sort of reflect sometimes some of our, the worst of our nature. Um, and as Trevor's saying, you know, there is often behind the scenes, behind what is sort of presented to us as neutral is really almost like, you know, Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtains. There are forces at work behind technology that don't always really announce themselves um, that it's good to be aware of how this technology may be used and what some of the motivation for the technology is because what appears neutral on the surface, there's really greater depth to it. Well, and to play off of that, there's a you have a um, a, line, a section in the book actually where you say technology is designed for sin, and also being aware of what the technology is designed for and used for. We're seeing that in the news right now, right? We're seeing the big fa- big companies, Facebook and Instagram and others, um, being dragged into the headlines about what they the research they've done to bring in people onto their platforms and ultimately keep them there so reflect on reflect on that a little bit about how how do, how does our being aware of 
the company's investment and what the company wants to get out of the technologies that they're creating and our use of them. I think Dr. Smith has, he knows a lot about the addiction side of things, which I was, the more that he and I work together on this, um, it, it's stunning. So I, I'd like to hear from what he has to say on that. Yeah, sure. I will, I will explain that the best I can. I, I think the first part of the question, I think, leads to, you know, in terms of we talked about the forces that work behind the scenes. You know, if you really follow a lot of this, you know, a, a lot of technology is, is money driven. And we know that, you know, whatever keeps you online the most and, and, and interacting online the most generates the most money. So, you know, there's some kind of, we might talk about later, there, may, there are some technologies, some technologies that are not necessarily motivated by money in this way. But, you know, big corporations, um, you know, may do very many, many wonderful things. But, you know, the bottom line is that you need to have capital and produce money. So the beating heart of a lot of this is, is money. And I think as opposed to things like, you know, Jesus and God, where there's things that are, I think, more straightforward or honest or no ulterior motives, you know, folks wouldn't probably spend as much time online if they knew all the stuff that was happening with their data or if they understood some, some of the fact, some of the aspects that are unhealthy about extended time online. And essentially when they do the research for on, online engagement is anything that has you release a lot of dopamine in your brain is what keeps you coming back for more. Because we all respond to dopamine. I mean, a lot of wonderful things in life, you know, getting married or having a good meal or other things release dopamine in your brain. Um, but we're not really meant to have constant flows of dopamine because if you have constant dopamine being elicited by um, stimuli that are electronic stimuli, eventually whatever gave you that sort of that rush or kick before doesn't do it anymore. So you need to have higher and higher levels of dopamine. And that's what's seen similarly in some substance use disorders where, you know, folks who use things like cocaine get like 10 times the amount of dopamine that a normal, natural, healthy reinforcer for dopamine would give you in life. And so what happens is, is that the more that you repeat an action, the circuits in your brain related to that action are strengthened. And when your circuits are strengthened, you're more likely to repeat those actions. So you get in this bad cycle when you continuously repeat the same action, such as, you know, checking your phone or hitting a button or doing anything that gives you those dopamine surges. And then normal life things don't give you quite the same dopamine rush. And you feel like I need to be online all the time, or I don't feel as good unless I am checking my phone. Sort of like, you know, the Pavlovian doll, dog he hearing, you know, the bell and salivating. When we hear the bell on our phones and we need to check, you know, that's, that's something that's been really a conditioned response from us. And so the only way, you know, fortunately, this is reversible. This is not, these are not brain changes that stay forever. But you, the only way you can um, weaken these strong circuits that have you do things repetitively that aren't necessarily health, healthy is to practice alternatives, to have other things substitute for the behaviors that are ca causing this cycle to um, continuously revolve and not responding to the stimuli or the cues that get you to do these compulsive actions in the first place. So eventually, if you find alternative ways of acting, if you can avoid some of these you know, stimu stimulus that, that gets you going, some of these circuits will become more what we call extinct. In terms of you won't you'll maybe hear the bell but not have that same reaction to jump to your phone but it takes a while because these habits take a while to develop it also takes a while to unlearn these habits what i hear you saying is that with some intentionality there is hope for us to reverse 
the the negative rewiring that may have taken place with many of our There's habits. lots of hope. And I think the nice thing is, is nobody's going to just probably spontaneously combust from looking at their phone too much. You know, it's not dangerous like that, but I think my concern is, and I see it in a lot of my patients, is that it's really more like the boiled frog effect, you know, where the water is slowly getting hotter and rising. And so we often don't realize that what was maybe, you know, 15 years ago, an hour on our phone has now turned into eight plus hours a day. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's, it's, Trevor, is, is this, with all this time that we're spending on our phones, on our computers, on you know, our iPads, what have you, how we run the risk of putting those technologies before God, right? What are the dangers that we have, have with our priorities being mixed up? That's a great question. It's, it's hard to, so sort of sometimes people struggle with, well, I, I listen to my Bible on my phone. Um, I do a lot of Bible app audio. Um, that's part of my daily Bible reading sort of thing. Um, I use email for ministry, you know, all these different things. So that's where this question of just, um, does it eclipse us from God or take away? Uh, I guess the thing that I would point out is this and, and sort of what Brian was alluding to with the, the eight hours a day thing. We should at least ask the question, um, what is flooding my day sort of quantitatively and what am I thinking about the most? What is, what's the first thing I do when I wake up? What's the last thing I see when I go to bed? Uh, and those aren't the only ways to assess, you know, is this a, an idol? Is this the thing you fear, love and trust in above all else? But in some way, if your phone or Facebook is the first thing you check in the morning and it's the last thing you do before you close your eyes and go to bed and it, occupies everything in between, then yeah, maybe. Uh, and that's where a simple answer to this is not always the easiest, you know, does technology use, is it contrary to living as, as the, the children of God? Um, I wouldn't say that, but certainly it's, um, it's an invitation. <laughs> and, and I would say to your previous question, it, it inclines us in many ways to worship maybe the creation rather than the creator We'll talk about that a little bit more of, of where, where does technology fit in, in our world as, as creatures? Because I think we may have misplaced this. I mean, we, we can't really get too far in scripture without hearing some of that. We hear um, God telling us to, to work and keep creation. And so in some way, God kind of inviting us create tools um, create means that that amplify our ability to to tend creation, and so in that sense, I think God is kind of for technology. Um, but but as we work through that story of Scripture, we see uh, God saying, "Work and keep the garden." But then that 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 rebellion, that sin, that that distrusting of God and trusting ourselves, or trusting the things we create, or trusting. Uh, the dopamine rush or what, you know, trusting, I, I know what's best. Uh, and, and so in that, in the story of scripture, we see God as creator making creatures and setting us on, here's, here's how you are to live in this creation. But, but we twist that and we get it backwards. <laughs> we we're turned in on ourselves. And that's where that, that, that idea, the title redeeming technology, um, that, that these are, this is redeemable uh, in the sense of, 
God says I'm making all things new. And, and Brian and I say, well, that's technology is part of that all things. Um, but it requires the good news of Jesus, the, the work of the Holy Spirit and um, uh, God's people having a clear understanding of how then does this fit in the life of the redeemed. We want, while we want technology to be a tool, and this is sort of a corny cliche, but we don't want to become tools ourselves, you know, because in terms of the amount of time that's devoted to this, you know, even some things that are otherwise healthy become, become unhealthy in excess. Even some vitamins, if you take too much, could hurt you. And so we don't want tools that we've that man has created to distract us from God. And we don't want tools um, to bring out our worst natures. And we don't want tools to um, direct our lives and have this control over, you know, how we, we live and where we put our priorities. Because I think uh, the joke is, is that we always say with the next techno technological tool, oh, it'd be a great time saving device. Oh, I have so much free time with this thing. And yet we, all of us, despite all this technology, feel often feel busy all the time. And it's really, that's really a falsehood. It gives us the illusion that we are busy all the time. And we don't have time for things that are important. Sometimes about maybe being in person at church or devoting time to other things. And it's really a lie. It's, it's really time that goes down this bottomless well. And, you know, a little bit of technology is okay. But once again, the excess of it tends to deprive us of other things like family time or other meaningful activities because we have this false sense of being busy when in fact the technology is part of the problem. Well, and it's, it's allowing, it's getting in the way of our, the real life relationships, as you said, with our families and also with, with God and with our, with our church communities. And at the end of the day, I think those are going to be far more healthy relationships than what we may have with a device in, in our hand. But yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, what, what, what's challenging in that is the devices give us this feel that, that there is a real connection happening, but, but it's um, a disjointed connection and it's from a distance. You know, people are going to hear this and they're going to hear voices, but not, not get <laughs> all of us kind of thing, you know? And so it, it, it's just, it's like a counterfeit kind of thing. It, it, it's just real enough to suffice for the real thing. But it, it, it uh, breaks my heart when I realize that people are, are taking this counterfeit relationship and neglecting the, the real relationships and the real interactions all around them. Yeah, I think we found during COVID, that's right, I think we found during COVID how that we really missed things like, you know, breaking bread together and human touch and things like that. Um, more than we thought we missed them. You know, I thought we thought we could just substitute. We were forced to substitute with technology because it was nice that, you know, even if we had to socially distance physically, it was nice that during the pandemic that we didn't have to necessarily be socially distanced in, in terms of seeing each other on screens, but that there are other aspects of the relationships that can't be substituted for by technology. So I have three sons. Our listeners have heard me talk about them before, 15, 13, and 8. Um and technology is all around them. And while they may not be active in the social platforms or different things, I see their friends. And it, it shocks me when I see my eight-year-old having third grade friends who are on TikTok and doing these things and the things that I know that they are exposed to and whether through no fault of their own, the things they're exposed to. But then you have video games and you have all these other things. So... Brian, how are 
are teens being captivated by these technologies and how are, how is that affecting them and what can we as parents do to help make sure that they develop a healthy relationship with with these devices and these platforms i think a big part of it is first get to know the platforms show show interest in what your kids are looking at you know if you allow them on these devices um because i know from my patients most children are happy to explain and show how they're using the technology and then you help them reflect on it as far as how does it make you feel what is this you know what is the purpose of this you know app or whatnot um so first you try to get a better understanding of the technology you know i think it's reasonable to have some limits as far as you know understanding what is the amount of time on screens because we all adults and kids underestimate how much time is being spent and and I don't think we realistically can just have kids off of all technology because it's, it's, it's our world now. I mean, what we even say in psychiatry is that the, that online life is real life for the, for this generation. You know, that mean a lot of what they, a lot of what they do interaction wise um, takes place on these apps. And if you pull a kid off of things completely, then um, you know, they do risk being completely excluded and it's unfortunate and not that saying this is the best way to live, but this is, this is our lives these days. And so I think, you want to help your child understand better what sort of what is what is their what meaning do they get from this? And I think that you know there's a lot of fear of missing out. So I think a lot of it is sort of coaching them through as far as you know which aspects of this are you probably better better off without. As far as is this healthy or unhealthy? I think healthy and unhealthy is a good way of looking at different things. Probably healthy or unhealthy in terms of the exact content, and healthy versus unhealthy in terms of the amount of time spent. And then by working with the children, um, you know, as far as having them better understand you know, what, what do they get out of these apps or other, you know, forms of technology? Is it healthy? And is it really, does it really satisfy what they're looking for? Cause, cause it really, when it comes down to it, the motivation for children behind their technology use is often things as far as wanting to feel accepted. You know, that's a big part of becoming a teenager is identity and acceptance. And a lot of teens I know would like to find acceptance through having everyone give comments on their picture on Instagram saying cutie, beautiful, etc. But if, if the kid is, if you can help them see that that is not satisfying their feeling, their need for acceptance, then, you know, they might understand that it's better to back off from some of it because it's really not serving a purpose. So it's being very reflective with children as far as understanding their use. And then if there are better ways to gratify some of their real world need in the real world, or even in healthier ways to use technology, then you help guide them so that they can, you know, meet their developmental needs without getting in trouble where you have, you know, cyberbullying or, or feeling um, bad about yourself because you're seeing everyone's perfect lives, you know, through social media. Um, so it's both, you know, trying to accentuate the positives of technology because there are those, but also trying to minimize the risks inherent with teen use of it. Um, but teens also sometimes, if they can figure out that these these companies or whatnot and so are some ways manipulating their they the, their real teen needs, you know, they're tapping in, they know how teens operate. I think a lot of teens would rather not be manipulated or they want to feel like individuals who make individual choices. And I think sometimes you can find some teens that try this stuff for a while and then over later decide this is not for me. I understand sort of what the game is here and they will find healthier ways of living. And Brian, that whole thing you're describing, I mean, much of it is is not different or unique for, I mean, when we were all young, acceptance was really important. Social acceptance, family acceptance, all that mm -hmm. stuff. What's different now is, is what you're describing, this idea that it's acceptance that's all public 
And just imagine mm-hmm. your social stock being seen by everyone quantified with, yep. with a, a thumbs up or a star or a heart. Um, that's, that's bonkers uh, to use a technical term. Um, <laughs> but, but then on top of that, the fact that there's this, this other party that has a, a stakeholder in it that is manipulating algorithms mm-hmm. and, and your time on it and all these different things. So just, it was hard enough for us to navigate acceptance and, and, am I loved and liked and respected mm-hmm. in a much simpler context, but now it's public and manipulated by other, it's just, it's, it's um, no wonder adolescents struggle with it. Yeah. In the old days, if I wasn't invited to a party as a teenager, I just didn't know most <laughs> half the time, more than half the time that I wasn't invited. And there wasn't this, like I said, 24 hour, basically wall street of popularity. So you could really see it. And, and, you know, the technology, the, the way the apps are designed is that they really do show unrealistic versions of lives. And so teenagers that are trying to figure out like what is a good life are given an unattainable image of a good life. You know, even the children that post it, I mean, there's, you know, filters and they have ways of changing stuff and you're not showing your tough moments, you know, and you're only showing things that you think are going to be mostly accepted. And so, um, you know, ultimately most of the time that teens spend online, it's not making them any happier. It's sometimes making them um, less happy yet it's never enough. So it's almost like, you know, having a meal that doesn't taste good. And then you say, oh, give me seconds. You know, it, it really is not going to satisfy. So Trevor, you've, you've shared this before, but I think it bears repeating. When it comes to using technology and social media in an, a healthy, productive way, what's, what's a good piece of advice that we should keep in the back of our minds as we think about what we may or may not want to post and share? Yeah, I think I think you you're you're baiting me with something I've shared before, but it ruined me to to social media. Uh, but think about the words of of John the Baptist when he says, you know, he needs to increase, Christ needs to increase, I need to decrease, uh, and it ruined me just to, to ask the question of this thing that I'm posting, this point that I'm trying to make, my interaction with this technology, is it is it to the increase of Christ in any way? And then what I mean by that is not simplistically just like, oh, are you tweeting a Bible verse? Like, sure, yeah. Um, but just it ruined it for me using social media because then it would be, why am I posting this thing? Well, I want to show how great my life is and I want people to like it. Uh, and then I asked the question, is this to the increase of Christ? And the answer was oftentimes no. And that's where it ended up just sitting in my draft folder on social media or something like that. So yeah, I think that's a key question to ask in all of our digital interactions. Uh, is this to the increase of Christ or is this to the increase of me, my ego, my popularity, my dopamine, whatever that may be. Um, and that, like I said, that kind of ruined a lot of it for me in a, in a good way. <laughs> Before we wrap up with my asking you both to share your best advice for how we can use technology in a healthy way in our everyday lives and our faith lives. Uh, in the book, you share a story of a piece of technology that we wouldn't necessarily think of today as a technology, and that's the cross. Can you tell, tell our listeners a bit about the cross as technology and how even that was redeemed and used for good? So the title, Redeeming Technology, you know, the most obvious way to understand that is, of course, let's buy back, let's redeem, let's reclaim technology for a healthy, 
use, um, a, a biblical pattern of that. But in some way, the cross is redeeming technology. And what, I, what we mean by that is this, this cross was a technology used by the Roman Empire for violence to execute. I mean, it's one of the most horrific kind of technologies of punishment and power and authority you can imagine. Uh, but it's stunning to see how God took that technology and flipped it on its head uh, to bring about peace and reconciliation, uh, hope, healing, life. And so really the cross is redeeming technology. It's, it's technology, horrific technology that God said, yeah, you can, you can make this, but I can flip it. <laughs> um, I can turn this on its head and uh, turn this into uh, a, a, a tomb, but also an empty tomb and, and life. Um, and so in that way, we don't often think of the cross as technology, uh, but I, I suppose if if God can redeem that violent apparatus, God can also redeem um, smartphones and Facebook and and Instagram and and everything else. Uh, by redeeming, I just mean that 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 it can be used in good and godly and and healthy ways. So, from each of you, what's your advice for our listeners to reclaim the right center of gravity and keep technology in its, in its proper place and have healthy habits as we go throughout our days. Brian, we'll start with you. I think the, the time um, wasting aspect is the main thing I would look at. And I think what everyone can ask themselves is it, it's a way of figuring out if, if you have sort of a problem or not. I mean, I think we all have some degree of problem with this. But you can ask yourself, like, is it possible that I'm dependent on this? And the way to test that is, if I'm not dependent on it, then I can live without it, at least for stretches of time. So if you feel like you're, this is, you're chained to this, like you could be chained to a big boulder, if you can't turn off your phone, if you can't you know, have it out of your bedroom, um, because unless you're working for the Secret Service and the president, you don't need your phone all the time. You know, so if, if I often ask my patients with anything, whether it's marijuana or, or social media use, someone say, I don't have a problem. I say, well, you don't have a problem, then quit. You know, and so the big question is, if you're not dependent on it, then it means that you can, for family meal times during church, you know, unless you're, I guess, looking at the app or, or the Bible app or whatnot, but have periods of time when you turn it off, you're free of it, and you have times for basically peace and reflection and use it in a very purposeful way. Yeah, I think one of the key things that, that that's helpful for putting technology back in its proper place is really the gospel in the sense that in Christ Jesus, God says, you are loved, you are redeemed, you are worth uh, the, the, the blood of my son, uh, you are worth all of that, uh, and in the gospel, we hear the good news that 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 we have a home uh, and we have a future and we have a place. And, and and so letting that good news of the gospel be the center uh, early on, Brian and I talked about what, what's at the center of, of your orbit. Um, and if that's at the center, everything else will find its proper place. Uh, and in the sense of a lot of times we see technology at its worst when we come to it empty, looking to be filled, or we come to it wanting to be affirmed and needing affirmation or, you know, something like that. Uh, and the thing that's at the center is, is that, that void. Um, and, and, and we find out technology can't fill that center. Uh, and that's where I think just 
the gospel gives hope for technology use uh, because um, with with Christ at the center, then then I think my smartphone will find its proper place in the orbit. Uh, with with Christ at the center, I think even Facebook um, can be used well. With with Christ at the center, um, the the consumeristic drive for for more and more gets put where it ought to be. Um, and so, really, it, it might sound flippant or cliche or something like that, but really, the gospel gives me hope for for technology. And then, flowing out of the gospel, then there's many other techniques that we talk about in the book. And um, Brian's wealth of of experience with individuals and helping them through that. that That's where all those things flow out of. Um, but Jesus at the center, that's where technology will, will then find where it needs to be. Thank you both for joining us today, Trevor and Brian. This has been a great conversation. And listeners, I highly recommend that you take a look at their book, Redeeming Technology, A Christian Approach to Healthy Digital Habits. We'll have it linked in the show notes so you can click over and take a look and start reading an excerpt right away. It's it's a very helpful book and it, it's very thought provoking and I think will challenge us all in a good way to reclaim the proper place of technology in our lives. And I think that will serve us all very well. Again, Trevor and Brian, thank you so much. This is great. Yep. Listeners, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.